wanted to say. Please be seated and go ahead and open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to continue working our way through the book of Daniel. Um, As I said, we're not reading every verse. We're going to skip a little bit of chapter 2 around in the next couple of weeks. Um, We'll be reading verses 12 to 24. Before we get there, I just want to give you a little bit of background on the first 10 verses, just so you're not completely lost in the story. At the end of chapter 1, Daniel has been eating his vegetables. He is healthy, he is strong, he has finished his initiation the first three years in Babylon, and he is beginning his service. And so in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar goes to his wise men and his um, astrologers and all of these people and says, hey, I've had a dream, and I need you to interpret the dream for me. And all of his wise men and and, and prophets and, you know, sort of fortune teller people say, okay, great, why don't you tell us the dream so we can interpret it? And the king says, no, uh, that's no good. Uh, You're just going to tell me my dream and then interpret it. And they say, well, Nebuchadnezzar, no one can do that. You need to tell us the dream so then we can interpret it. He said, no, actually, um, you need to do it. Otherwise, um, if you can't, I'm going to kill you all and burn down and break down your houses to rubble. And and so he actually decrees then, Nebuchadnezzar the king, that all of the wise men, including Daniel and his friends, would be put to death because no one can do this thing. And so this is where we pick up our reading in verse 12 uh, of Daniel chapter 2. It's on page 486 and 487 in your Bibles. Um, You may want to have it open as we work through it, even though it's on the screen now. And it says this, uh, starting in verse 12, when the Uh, People told him they couldn't interpret the dream. Verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. And so the decree was issued to put to death, to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel, and at this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret this dream for him. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we look at our text We notice in verse 18, one of the things that maybe stuck out to you was that Daniel prays for mercy. You know, this word mercy is sort of interesting. You know, we all sort of think of different things when we think of the word mercy. 
Uh, maybe you're a, a parent and you think of your kids sort of giving you the, the big puppy dog eyes asking for mercy. Um, maybe you think of a time in your own life when you received a really great mercy. You know, maybe you're a history person and, and you think of a historical uh, time when someone showed great mercy. You know, maybe you've read in the news one of these stories where, where someone forgives someone of a murder or some horrible atrocity. You know, me personally, I'm a bit more shallow than all that. I always think of the movie Gladiator, you know, with Caesar and the thumb. That's the first thing that always comes to my mind when I think of the word mercy, is Caesar sort of doing the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Uh, Just a fantastic movie. Anytime I can think about that, I do. But what do you think of when you think of mercy? You know, what comes to your mind? You know, our English word comes from the Latin, as most of our words do, and and, and it started out sort of as meaning, this word mercy started out as meaning uh, just a, a reward or a payment for wages. And then it, it sort of took on this charitable thing, that giving things away and loving and caring for others. You know, in the 4th or 5th century uh, in Spain, you know, the term or the, the name Mercedes or Our Lady of Mercy became popular. And it became more common that mercy was not just giving things away, but that it was very charitable and compassionate. That over the years, uh, that mercy, through the use of Scripture and the growth of the church, has actually meant this disposition to forgive and show compassion to people who maybe don't deserve it. And eventually it came into things like in the Middle Ages where we hear of things like the mercy seat, where someone would sit on the seat and, and people would go and plead for mercy before a lord or a king and asking for mercy. You know, words have a really fascinating history, but what's amazing about them to me is that they're also very limiting. You know, we think of mercy, and, and we, we desire to be merciful, we desire to be people of mercy, but we always have a limit, don't we? You know, you read these stories of other people forgiving or giving mercy, and you're encouraged and you're inspired, but then you think, you know, sort of, what would my limit be? You know, I, I think it would be great to be able to forgive someone. I think it would be great to be able to be merciful towards someone. But I also know that if someone threatened to hurt someone that was close to me, I would have no mercy. I also know that if someone hurts someone I love dearly, that it would be very difficult for me to have mercy. And tonight we're going to look at this story in that context of mercy. That we would see sort of a new way to look at mercy, or maybe just a renewed way to look at mercy. And that mercy might, in fact, be much bigger than we've ever really thought about as Christians. That mercy can actually extend in a way that can impact and change this world. And so let's go through the text we've just read, verse by verse, section by section, and, and, and walk through this. Starting in verse 12. You know, we see in verse 12 and 13 why the king was so angry. He sort of acts like a petulant child, like we would expect a king, and say, no, you do this or you die. I'm the king, that's how it's going to be. Right? You tell me the dream. But he just decides to kill everyone. He says, you know what? You guys are idiots. If you can't do this, you're useless to me. We're just going to kill you. And Daniel's response is really fascinating. This guy comes to actually tell Daniel and his friends, hey, you guys have been decreed to be killed. And Daniel doesn't freak out. Daniel doesn't pack up his stuff and say, we have to get out of town, we have to run, we have to hide, we have to get out of here, we have to live, we have to survive, however we do it. He slows down. The NIV here translates the Hebrew that he acts with wisdom and tact. The English Standard Version, the ESV, which I also like to read, it says that he acted with prudence and discretion. 
Now, no matter how you look at this, it is the complete opposite of foolishness. And I also want to point out, as we look through this, this is actually a great example for all of us, how we can act with wisdom intact, how we can not be foolish in the midst of a difficult circumstance. You know, and the first thing that he does is he simply asks a question. Why is this happening? You know, this is something that we can all learn from. This is something that we can all practice and do more, is asking questions, slowing down, not overreacting, and just ask a question. You know, I learned this, and in, in, uh, I shared a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember how long ago, about, you know, my, my employment history and starting working. And I remember being a teenager and working for a man named Jim King. And Jim King was a friend of my now stepfather, and he got me this job when I was 17, sort of cleaning up construction sites and, and working with different things. And he gave me great advice early on. He said, Sam, I like you, you're a hard worker, um, but there's one thing you really need to do. And I said, what? And he said, if you ever have a question, please ask it. And I said, well, yeah, but I don't want to bug you. You know, you seem really busy. You're the boss, and I don't want to bother these other people. And he said, no, you need to ask questions, because in the construction business, if you have to redo things, it costs a lot of money. You know, and if you, and if you accidentally, I was cleaning up construction sites, and if you accidentally throw something away that we need to keep, then it say we lose time, we lose money. So just slow down, Sam, and ask questions. And to this day, I still think of this. This is like in a college course. This is like Wisdom 101. Slow down and ask questions. Okay? If you need help, if you're stressed out, if someone comes to you and says it's been decreed that you need to be put to death, I hope that doesn't happen. But maybe someone comes to you at work. Maybe, maybe someone comes to you in school or a friend comes to you with a dire situation. It's always a good idea. It's always good to act with wisdom and tact and to slow down and just ask questions. You know, being mature, whether it be as a Christian or just as a human being, is knowing that we don't have all the answer, that we need to collect information, that we need to slow down and practice listening to others so that we can understand what's going on. And then the second thing Daniel does in verse 16 is he creates more time. He says, hey, a decision doesn't need to be made right now, king. Give me some time. I can do this. We can do this. So first, when we're faced with something difficult to act with wisdom intact, we have to ask questions. And the second thing we can do is just slow down and ask to talk again. Maybe you're having a conflict with someone and your tensions are rising and you just say, you know what, let's just slow down and let's set a time to talk again. You know, maybe it's a deadline or maybe someone's enforcing something on you and you just say, well, let's just hold on and see if we can come back to this. And what's amazing about this story for us tonight, or for Daniel, I mean, is that he does this without even knowing. If you look at verse 16, it says, listen, king, give us some time so that I can interpret the dream for you. God has not revealed it to him yet. He is trusting that God would intercede on his behalf. He is trusting that God will step into this situation and reveal the dream in a miraculous way. And then Daniel's next move is one. See, the first two, anyone can do. The first two would just be worldly wisdom, right? Ask questions? Sure. Slow down? Sure. But the third one is something that is specific to us as believers in God. If you look in verse 17 and 18, he does something that all Christians should do, and it ties in so perfectly with what we're talking about with home groups and meeting together. He says to his friends, we need to pray about this. 
He urged them to plead for, plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed. Church, when we are struggling, when we need discernment, when we don't know what's coming next, we cannot do it alone. We can ask questions. We can seek more time. But when it comes down to it, the difference between us and the world is that we have a God who loves us and has told us to go to him and ask for help. That we can go to our community. We can have these people we can count on and pray together. Go to God together. I want to mention this really quickly because, and I've said this before, but when I talk about prayer, I just want to remind us how crazy this is. When you pray, I mean, surely we have quick prayers, right? Dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Amen. I usually say that one because I'm usually really hungry and there's a plate of food in front of me. But when we think about intercession and really praying about something and really asking God for something, I want you to think about what you're doing. You are interceding, you are asking the God of the universe who created all of these things simply by speaking or thinking them into being to intercede on behalf of you in a certain way, shape, or form. And when we see Daniel and his friends doing this, we realize the importance of it. God wants us to do this. This is the craziest thing about our God. It is terrifying to think that we can go to the God of the universe and say, please help me with this situation at work, and that he would even care. But not only does he care, he actually says, this is a gift I am giving you. Do not squander it. I am here for you. Christ says when he left, remember, for I am with you always. And Daniel and his friends, because of the history they have, because of the faithfulness God has shown them that we saw in chapter 1, they go with confidence in prayer to God to say, yes, we know he will reveal this to us. Because there has been a precedent set and that God has cared for us and he will care for us again. And the reason we stand up in church and we share testimony and the reason we go together to pray and the reason we do all of these things is because we know that God desires it of us and that God is there for us. And in faith, they went and prayed together to God. And then verse 19 tells us that during the night, the mystery was indeed revealed to Daniel in a vision. And we'll talk about the vision next week in more detail. But what I want you to see is this, that God uses us, that God uses his people and his servants. You know, at the end of the New Testament, there's a lot of these really little books of the Bible that have weird names. They're called the Minor Prophets. And we've talked about some of them before. I want to read you one from the book of Amos. I want to read you a quick verse from the book of Amos. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. Amos chapter 3, verse 7, says this, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Surely God doesn't do anything without revealing it to his people, basically, is what he's saying. And now in the Old Testament, the prophets were special people who had the Holy Spirit who did all these things. But now in the New Testament, we all have the Holy Spirit. We are all his prophets in a way. We are all his servants. And I believe that God wants to reveal these things to us, that God wants to reveal to us the mysteries of the world, that God wants to give us comfort and supernatural intervention into things in our life, but we are not trusting him enough to go to him with our closest friends and intercede on behalf of these things, pleading with God. And I love Daniel's response. 
After God reveals to him this vision in the night, instead of running to Nebuchadnezzar and telling him, instead of running and saying, ha, I got it, and going and lifting himself up in some sort of way, like we would all, or at least I would be tempted to do, he goes and he praises God. And he gives us this wonderful little prayer. And this prayer just basically lays out that, hey, God is God over all other gods. And, and if you read the first 10 verses of chapter 2, the king actually, or the, the wise men actually say, hey, this thing you're asking is impossible. No one can do this thing. And then just later it says that, no, God can do this thing. God can give wisdom. God can reveal these things. And that God is greater than any other God. Now, today, in this day and age, we don't really have other idols and other gods we worship. But think about that with the things we do have as idols, whether it be power, whether it be money, whether it be control, that God is still greater than those gods. And then if you look at this, and maybe you can cut out the last two verses because it talks about the king's vision and everything, but if you look at verses 20, 21, and 22, this is a great prayer. I mean, this would be a great prayer to pray at any time. When we're struggling at work and we don't know what's going to happen, when we're struggling in relationships and we're not sure how things are going to play out, and, and maybe we just don't feel like praying, maybe we just feel far from God. I mean, this is a great prayer to pray. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things and knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. I mean, think about that. If we were ever confused, if we were ever struggling to pray that prayer every morning before we started our day, that would be a powerful prayer. You know, and I love Scripture for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that it's full of these wonderful prayers we can always pray. So much more than just the Lord's Prayer. And so as we look at Daniel... We see what God is doing. It's a great story of how God intercedes on behalf of Daniel and gives him this vision. So I just want to recap real quick and then close with one idea. That, that when we are in this situation, when we don't know how to act, when we don't know how to move forward, there, there's a lot of things we can do to have wisdom intact. One of them, slow down, ask questions. Then we can go to God in prayer. And we can find clarity, praise God, make choices. Those are all good things. But then the fourth thing is something I want to point out to you that you may have missed. If you look at the end of the story, see in verse 18, Daniel prays that he and his friends wouldn't die. But then in verse 24, he says, hey, make sure none of the wise men die. Make sure no one else dies. Make sure no one dies for this. Not just me and my friends, but none of the wise men. It's amazing. That because Daniel went to God, because Daniel trusted God, because Daniel went to God in faith, his mercy, that God, or God's mercy then through Daniel, extended to his rivals. Extended to these people that were worshiping false God. Extended to people who we would see as enemies. Because Daniel did it God's way, mercy was expanded and increased in the kingdom of Babylon. And, and I was thinking about this and wondering, what, when it comes to mercy, what is this was the goal of all Christians? 
What if our goal when it comes to these things was not just to propagate maybe what we believe or what we always think is right, but just simply to make mercy bigger? What if we tried with all of these things God is doing in our life to simply have mercy stretch farther and wider than we ever thought possible? What if as we worship God and go to him in prayer and you know, supplication and all of these things we're doing, that we are asking God that we would see the world as he sees it, to make mercy bigger, to make mercy stronger, to make mercy more common. You know, our passage that Andy read about the feeding of the 5,000 is such a great passage because it says that Jesus saw them and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What if we saw the world like that? What if we desired, instead of just praying for ourselves or instead of just desiring wisdom for us, that we desired to make God bigger in this world, to make God normal, to make God constant in this world, like that song we sang, Unbroken Praise. And this is why God extends such mercy to all. Because what he is doing is something we can't imagine. If it was up to us, we would just extend God's mercy to people that are like us, right? You know, or or to people who come to our churches, or to people who believe our denominational things, or people who understand the world just like we do. But that is not what God desires. See, the reason I talked about acting in a way that that carries wisdom intact was because that when we act in a way with wisdom in our life, and we slow down, and we ask questions, and we go to God in prayer then the result of maturity, the result of our growth, should be mercy to this world. That that wisdom is not found in us and in our knowledge, but wisdom is found in our mercy to all of those people we come in contact with. Think about this. In in, in, In the worldly economy, wisdom leads to power and control. Those who are wise, those who have knowledge, they're in control, they're in power, they're at top of the pyramid. But in God's economy, wisdom leads to mercy. Wisdom leads to laying your life down for your brother or your sister. And as we read in Amos, God does nothing without using and telling his servants. That God is using you. So even though this passage from the onset may not seem, hey, this doesn't seem like a passage really on mercy, it absolutely is. That when we do things in God's way, when we go slowly, when we act prayerfully, when we act with wisdom, we have the opportunity to show mercy to this world, to show mercy to our enemies, to give mercy to someone we would seemingly be at odds with. And so then my question for us is, is mercy part of our life? Does our growth towards Christian maturity point to more and bigger mercy? Or are we making mercy smaller? Are we getting more and more narrow in our belief and in our worldview to where we're restricting God's ability to be merciful to this world? Or are we making mercy bigger? And my prayer for us and for our church is that we would be a church that acts with wisdom and tact. That God would move in and through us and that we would be women and men who make mercy bigger in this world. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, we are your sons and daughters. We are your servants. Father, and I pray that when we are faced with a difficult situation, Lord, that we would not overreact, that we would not rush. Father, but that we would seek your wisdom. God, and that your wisdom would lead to mercy. Lord, that we would love our enemy. 
Lord, that we would care for the person that persecutes us. Lord, that we would make mercy bigger. Let our maturity and our growth lead to that. And not to praise of self or power as the world sees it, Father. Let it lead to sacrifice for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, At this time, I'd like to invite our musicians back up. And uh, we're just going to sing another song or two.